So we were looking the last few weeks on revision and uh, just saying as a church, we need to get back to our DNA as a church. It's not unique because if we read through the book of Acts, we see that in the book of Acts, the church was a supernatural church. Supernatural things happened. Amazing things happened. Amen. And uh, it's what we're pressing for again and uh, just getting back into. One of the things that I will never compromise on is worship. Second thing I won't ever compromise on is the word. Yeah, yeah. Amen. And if it's the truth, we'll preach it. Yeah, Doesn't matter how unpopular. But the thing that I want to just continue to touch on over the, you know, which we have the last few weeks, is the fact that God wants a relationship with us, yeah, a amen. personal, intimate relationship with each one of us. Yeah, yeah. God has got a purpose and a plan for each one of us. God is a speaking God. One of the things that we need to push for is His presence. I spoke about it last week, is that the more of His presence we have, the more of His voice, or the clearer His voice becomes. Amen? And so His presence needs to be our highest priority. Everybody say highest priority. Secondly, it must be our highest pursuit. And thirdly, it must be our highest passion. So our highest priority, our highest pursuit, and our highest passion. In other words, we need to be pushing for the presence of God. God loves to be in our presence. And we need to be spending time with Him and developing a relationship with Him. Is that okay? And it's something that we need to do within this crazy timetable we have, the crazy world we have. We need to be practicing the presence of God. Because one of the things with God coming and sending Jesus was that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, and he said two things about the Holy Spirit. He said he will be with you and in you. And so we need to be seeking not only Christ in us, but we need to seek the abiding presence of God upon and around us, becoming aware of the fact. Now, now that needs a theology change, and it needs us to understand, number one, that He has made us His righteousness, that He is inside of us, and that He is also with us and among us. Is that okay? And so Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence, in thy presence is fullness of joy. The implication is outside of his presence, this may be just joy. But in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, which is his presence, because it's just repeating it in another way, there are pleasures forevermore. Come on, say at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We miss out on a lot if we don't spend time at his right hand. Is that okay? Even in Acts chapter 3, and I'm twisting the verse a little bit, but verses 19 to 21, it says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, when times of refreshing shall come from where? The presence of the Lord. Come on, if you're getting tired and weary and down and things are difficult, get into the presence. Because from His presence comes times of refreshing. Is that good? Everybody said, Amen. Because think of the four Ps. So times of refreshing comes from his presence. I know for myself, if I come in here and pray, if I come and spend time in the presence of God, I am refreshed, I'm re-energized, I'm repurposed, I'm refined, you know, I get redirected. So we need to spend time in the presence of God. But this morning, I just want to talk about the fact of, of what happened when 
Isaiah went to church. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Okay, Isaiah. Isaiah went to church. Now this should be church as normal. So Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read from the King James translation. It says, in the year. That year was around about 740 B.C. In the year that Uzziah died. Now remind me to tell you a little bit about Uzziah, the king. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Everybody say, I saw the Lord. So when we sing songs like, I see the Lord, and he's high and lifted up, Isaiah saw him. Is that okay? And God wants us to have a relationship with him where with the eyes of faith, but also with the visionary capacity that he has given us, that we can see him, that we can hear him. Okay? Here's Isaiah. This is what happened when he went to the temple. Okay? He went to church. So it was the year that King Uzziah, it wasn't the only time he went to church. <laughs> but he went to church. And he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Everybody say high and lifted up. And his train, or the train of his robe, filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Seraphims is plural for angels. Okay? There was quite a number of them. Each one had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. With two, his feet. And with two, he did fly. And the one cried unto the other in a chorus and echoing and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Everybody say the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this isn't the only place that it mentions the earth being filled with his glory. Numbers 14, 1, it starts where God says, As surely as I live, the whole earth shall be filled with my glory. Isaiah 45 says the same thing. It says the same thing in Psalm 72, Habakkuk 2, as well as here in Isaiah chapter 6. The whole earth is full with my glory. And the posts of the door shook or were moved at the voice of them that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. That was the glory of God that filled the place. Then I said at the vision, woe is me. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, second time. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. Four things that I want to just touch on this morning that we see in God's presence. Four things. There's other things, but I'm taking it from Isaiah's visit to church. Number one, we see how big God is. I saw the Lord. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was high, and he was lifted up, sitting upon the throne, but he wasn't remote and removed and absent because the train of his robe filled the temple. So one of the first things that we see is the greatness of God. We also see it by what the angels were singing. They were saying, the whole earth is filled with his glory. In other words, the whole earth is filled with his presence. The first thing that we see when we get into the presence of God is how incredibly big he is, how immense God is. Amen. 
You know, it starts to do something because it starts to put a lot of things into perspective when you see how big God is. I remember Isaiah when there was an issue and um, he was prophesying to the people of Israel and he was saying, let me just give you perspective on the problems that you're seeing measured against the God that you see. And he says, who's measured out the heavens with the span of his hand like that. So what Hubble is still trying to discover, God can span with the span of his hand. He's measured out the mountains and weighed them like dust in the scales. All the oceans he can fit in that little hollow in the palm of his hand. And suddenly the people of Israel are getting a perspective. And this is what Isaiah saw when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Amen? Come on, you know, very often our problems are magnified. (laughs) The enemy has got a way of giving us magnifying glasses when it comes to our problems. When you get the bank letter, when you get the charge pressed against you, you know, unfairly, or whatever it is, that thing is magnified. But if we can get into the presence of God and we can see God as He is, you don't have to magnify Him. It diminishes everything that you face. Come on, church. This is awesome, isn't it? You see, this should be normal for us when we come to church, when we get into His presence. One of the things that should strike us afresh every time is how amazingly big God is. The year that King Uzziah died, let me just tell you, Jeremiah had the same sort of experience. He says this in Jeremiah 32, verses 17 to 20. Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Isn't it incredible when we get into the presence of God, we suddenly start to see the ability of God because God is so big. Amen? And so Jeremiah says, Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. You performed signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. I mean, that's an awesome word. That's an awesome word, isn't it? I mean... If we get into the presence of God, we suddenly start to see the greatness of God and reminded of His incredibly great power and of all that He is able to do. And suddenly, things change. The second thing that we become aware of is that though God is great, though God is able, though God is capable, though God's glory fills the whole earth, the train of His robe fills the temple. In other words, right here where I am. It fills me. Isn't that right? And so the train of his robe filling the temple talked about his imminence. That's the technical word for it, his nearness, his closeness. And he's right here. Not only is he everywhere, but he's here. He's right here with me. One of the things about getting together in church is the manifest presence of God. Now, one of the things that I'm really grateful for, I'm concerned that COVID has done something concerning church attendance because people have discovered, well, we can watch online. And it's really a blessing to watch online. And it is. But let me tell you where online services help is if you can't get to church. If you're laid up in bed, you know, watch online. You know, if you're too far away from church or you're taking a break on a holiday, go online. But it must never replace this gathering. The train of his robe does not fill your bedroom. 
I'm serious. I'm serious. There's a corporate anointing. Is that okay? Isaiah didn't have the vision under the duvet. He had it when he went to the temple. Come on, church. We've got to get real. Stop making excuses. Is that okay? It's like some people say, oh, the services are too long. I'll skip the worship and come for the word. No, come for both. You know, come for the worship because the worship is so awesome. We've got to be in the presence of God. We've got to be in that corporate anointing. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says, forsake not the assembling of themselves together. When God gives an instruction, it's not just to be boss or bossy. It's because of what's beneficial to us. So, I see the Lord and He's high and lifted up. Yeah, that song gives me gooses. I start crying every time we sing it. I see the Lord. Because I've had those experiences, and I'm having those experiences, and it's absolutely awesome. Let me tell you about King Uzziah. Uzziah came, maybe not such a well-known king. Maybe if it wasn't for Isaiah 6, you might not know about him. You might know about such kings as great jumping Jehoshaphat, or Ahab, you know, who was the Arab who was married to Jezebel. But you know, some of those kings, you might know about David, you might know about Solomon, but Uzziah, Uzziah was an amazing king, became king at the age of 16 years old, reigned for 52 years. One of the longest reigning kings, and he brought about revival in the country, in Judah. He brought about revival in the nation. The nation was on its way to destruction and judgment, but God was able to pause and prolong imminent judgment. He was ruling and reigning during the time when the first attacks began to happen, you know, of the king of Assyria coming and the initial deportations that were going to take place. All part of the last days. That's when the last days began, church. Yeah. And the last of the last days was up till AD 70. Okay, we're living in the world without end, home of the righteous. Good, 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 good. I'm just stirring for some people online. Is that okay? But Uzziah was an amazing king. He brought about revival. He brought about change. He restored the worship in Israel. Got people going back to church. Woo! I mean, that's why Uzziah could go into the church and have this encounter because of a godly king. Everybody say, yay. All right. And so... He restored it, and God, because of the restoration of worship and the restoration of the word, the law, God began to bless the nation. Listen, there is a word coming up. I am a prophet. There's a word coming up in my heart, and I don't preach judgment. Listen to me. The ANC government is corrupt and wicked. There are some good people in it. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't shut me out if you're pro-ANC. More and more, it's coming up in my spirit that what is written over the ANC now because of its wickedness and corruption is many, many tickle parson. Your sins, you have been weighed, and your sins have been put in a scale, and you've been wanting. That happened to King Belshazzar. Nights before the destruction of the greatest empire in the world, started by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire. And every empire that came up, as soon as they moved into godlessness, God judged them. God judged the previous government of South Africa for apartheid. What makes the ANC think they will escape? I'm just saying, watch. All right, so here we go. If you can't say amen, just say amen. Okay? 
It's not a racist statement because it's a black government. I'm saying it because it's a wicked government. So the restored worship and God began to bless the nation. If this country gets back to godliness, God will bless it. So he conquered all the cities around that were still under Philistinian rule. And he expanded Israel's territory. He brought peace and prosperity to the nation. And Assyria was too afraid of the God they served and of this king that served God and would not invade Israel because of Uzziah. Can I just show you something? It was Uzziah, the man of God, that invented catapult slingshots for war. Other scholars say differently, you know, secular ones, but I always believe the Bible. So listen, so li- do you want to hear? Do you want to hear? Okay, so listen to Second Chronicles 26, 9 to 15. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns. Those were watch lookout towers and many defense forces and cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people, his people working. His fields and vineyards in the hills and the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jehel, the secretary of Messiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his armies. They really go, wow, this is a powerful king, 307,000 well-trained soldiers. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows from them, like mega crossbows, and hurl large stones from the walls, catapults. But they go, wow, ooh, yeah, amazing. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped. The NIV says marvelously helped until he became powerful. Now, who marvelously helped him? God. Is that okay? God. So here's this incredible king. So the nation was struck with an incredible sadness. Sorrow pierced their heart. And even this great prophet Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died. What's going to happen to this nation? The peace, the prosperity, the protection of this nation under such a mighty godly king. But in the year that this great king died, Isaiah says, I went to church. We were all down. And then the band started to sing, I see the Lord. And suddenly the heavens were open, and yeah, I see him. Seated on his throne, the train of his robe fills the temple. But what I'm seeing is I'm seeing the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts is Yahweh Sabaoth. And uh, Yahweh Sabaoth is really an interesting word, the Lord of the hosts, or the captain of the hosts. In other words, what he was saying was, you know, the armies of heaven, because angels can worship, angels can bring revelation, angels can fight, 
You know, one went out and slew 85,000 Assyrian soldiers. I don't even think he lifted the sword. <laughs> I think the glory of God just hit them. So that was what one angel could do. So now say, yeah, now, so yes, the hosts, they call the hosts, all of these angels. And the Lord of hosts is the captain of hosts. In other words, he is the commander in chief of the armies of heaven. And so Isaiah says, the year that our king died, I saw Yahweh, Seboeth, I saw our commander in chief, the one who ultimately is looking after us. I know our king is dead, but he was only a limited, earthly, finite man. But I saw the Lord of hosts. And he was high and lifted up and he was seated on his throne. Everything's going to be okay. Is that okay? Can I say it again? Everything's going to be okay. Come on. Say, say everything's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Because our CIC still lives. And the train of his robe fills the temple. So one greater than the king was alive. The king was dead, but the king of kings was very much alive. And all of this was in church. Wow. He got a fresh perspective when he was in church. You can't substitute the presence of God for anything else. Amen? Second thing that we see when we get into the presence of God, and especially in contrast to the greatness of God, we actually see how small we are. Now, it doesn't mean, listen to me, church, it doesn't mean how insignificant we are. Because we're extremely significant to God. But what we do see is our littleness in comparison. And you know, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, Isaiah cries out and he says, woe is me for my eyes have seen the Lord. Woe is me because of this great, incredible God. We're small, but not insignificant. We're completely significant. But one of the things that the greatness of God does illuminate is our own inadequacies and our own limitations. And like I said, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because what it will do is create in us a sense of humility. And it should force us to a greater place of dependence on Him. Is that okay, church? So we see our own inadequacy. Isn't it amazing that when Moses came to the burning bush, why was the bush burning? Can I tell you it was because an angel was standing in the middle of it. The angel of the Lord was standing in the middle of the bush. That's why it was on fire. It wasn't a, a normal thing that happens to bushes in a hot desert. Like the secular people will say. No, it was because the angel of the Lord, the angel of his presence, went and stood in the bush. And then the bush was on fire because there was an angel standing there. You can find it. It's in the Bible. And then when Moses sees this thing, because also it says in Hebrews chapter 1, he makes his servants flames of fire and winds. Is that right? And so this time he was a flame of fire, standing. He has this bush burning. And when Moses comes, the voice of God, because it was the angel of the Lord's presence, comes out of the bush and says, take your shoes off because the place where you're standing is holy. Isn't it amazing? When God begins to speak to him, the first thing Moses talks about is his inadequacies, his limitations. Because what he's not getting is looking at the great, awesome God that he's serving, that can stand and this fire can burn, but the bush is not consumed. Is that good? And so our inadequacies are illuminated. And so, like I said, it's a great place because of, it brings us to a place of dependence. 
from there we can just see how small every problem really is if we see the greatness of God. And if I will allow him, God will fill my life. If I will allow him, God will walk with me. If I will allow him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're not insignificant, but we are limited. We are fallible. We are finite. Is that right? I just want to show you something very quickly. Another reason for the sadness, and I'm not going off the subject, another reason for the sadness in Isaiah's heart is because this great king came to a sad end. In the year that Uzziah died, I'll just quickly show you what he died from, and it will help highlight why this was such a powerful vision for Isaiah. Second Chronicles 26, I'm going to read from verses 19 to 21. Are you listening? Yes. This is talking about King Uzziah. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up with pride to his destruction. Listen, listen. I want to just share this with you because I believe the prophet is contrasting what's happening with him now in church, in the presence of God, seeing God high and lifted up, and seeing his own limitations, his own inadequacies, his own finiteness. Uzziah was marvelously helped until he became strong. The danger with that is it will lead us to a sense of independence from God. And because we're strong, we start to forget it's God who's done this. It's God who has enabled me. It's God who has blessed me. It's God who has done this. I have not done it. I was the vessel, but he was the commander-in-chief. He was the author of all of this blessing. Come on, church. It's one of the reasons why we cannot stay away and do the online thing. Thank you for watching online. Don't switch off and go away now. You know, because I know some of you are far away and would like to be here. But the thing is, that's why we need to be in the presence of God. Amen? Because it helps us to keep a healthy perspective. David almost lost perspective. Psalm 73. He said, because I envied the wicked. I saw how like a fat they are because they're eating chicken licking and all of those things. I saw they're really looking good. And they've got all this money and they're so blessed. He said, my foot almost slipped because I envied them. You can lose perspective out of the presence of God. You can lose perspective about your own ability, your own talents, your own whatever. And you can do exactly what the Israelites did when God warned them in Deuteronomy 8. And he said, listen, don't stop serving me because it's I who gave you power to gain wealth. So when you get to the promise, don't forget me. Come on, church, say amen. Amen. So when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He figured, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. Only the priests could offer the incense. And he went and he took a sense and now he's going to do an offering because he's so big and so blessed. Don't ever think that you're so blessed you can transgress, you know, things that God has set in place. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, 
who are consecrated to burning incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord your God. What godly priests. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah, listen to it, was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. In the year that King Uzziah died. Church, listen to me. You cannot do without the presence of God. Can't do it out of it. We need, we need a healthy dose of introspection every Sunday. Reflection in His presence. Because we're putting ourselves in the arena where God can reach our hearts. Third thing is we see how, other than the bigness of God and the littleness of us with our limitations, we see how holy God is. And the angels cried, to one another and said, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. God is so holy that heaven never rests from repeating it. It's the only attribute of God that is repeated three times. But God, whatever he touches, whatever is his, whatever he's in contact with, becomes holy. So just very quickly, Bible references to things holy that are in contact with God. His word is holy. His people are holy. The ground where God is holy ground. Dare I say it? This is a holy place. His name is holy. His power is holy. His city is holy. His covenant is holy. His spirit is holy. His tithe is holy. His works are holy. His promises are holy. His angels are holy. His prophets, true prophets, are holy. If you have a true prophet of God, don't touch them. The Bible says that David even says it. It says it twice. Touch not my anointed, neither do my prophets harm. Because they're holy to God. Is that okay? He's ministers. And then also the Bible talks about his kisses are holy. In other words, that intimacy with God is a holy thing. Psalm 22 verse 3. Are you all listening? Says this. And it's a paradox. It says this. But you are holy, speaking about God enthroned in the praises of your people. You are holy, enthroned in the praises of your people. And here it is. And this is all because of the cross of Jesus, that God who is so inutterably holy, so holy others, so different, so set apart, so righteous, of purer eyes than to behold evil, that there's no shadow of turn, there's no darkness in him. This same God, when we begin to praise enthrones himself on the praises of his people. Come on, I mean, that's awesome, man. This, this incredible God, when we're just lifting praise like we were this morning, God's going like, you know, his eyes ran to and fro throughout the world to show himself strong on behalf, you know, and God's going, Whoa, I love that sound, I love that sound. And here he comes, he's enthroned upon the praise of his people. 
this, this incredible God, this amazing God, this holy God. The, the incredible thing is, I don't know about you, but when you see the holiness of God very often, in the light of that, it highlights at times our sins. You know, there's times when, when you get into the presence of God and you become acutely aware that He knows of your bad temper. Yes. You know, or whatever it is, you know. You become acutely aware, it's like, Ish, He knows this about me. The amazing thing is, you know, the wonderful thing about God is He's not mean and He's not vindictive and He's not judgmental. If I get into His presence and He shows me something about me, an area of sin in my life, it's not because he wants to beat me up, but he wants me to help me get through it. Yeah. Is that okay? Because of the blood of the cross, every provision has already been made for my sin. Yeah. Is that right? And you know, I often wondered about it, but I found out, so I'm going to tell you. I often wondered about how is it that an angel takes a coal off the altar with tongs, you know, because he, the angel doesn't want to take it with his hand because it'll burn his hands, but then he puts it on the lips Never mind, never mind. That's how God works. You know, God works. It's too hot, but you know, you need something. <laughs> but never mind. But he takes the coal of the altar and he touches Isaiah's lips. He says, your sin are cleansed. And I, I want to, you know, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses. So, so how, go figure, how does this work? So should I tell you? Come back next Sunday. So what it is, it's in Leviticus 17. Okay, Leviticus 17, verse 11. He has the answer to this. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, God says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So in other words, when the sacrifice was made, it was put on the altar. The altar was full of burning coals. Is that all right? And the sacrifice was consumed. So it then became synonymous with the blood sacrifice. But the blood has now been poured out. It's consumed. So he takes the coal. And that's why God says, I've given you the altar. So where the sacrifice was made, he took a coal. And of course, the coal then doubles up in a figure of refinement. Is that okay? And because of the blood, he cleanses away Isaiah's sin. Wow. Come on, that is so awesome. The word, when he says your sins are purged, that word purged in the original language is in the Bible, in the Old Testament. There's a parallel in the New, but in the Old, it's 102 times. But only seven times is it translated purged. All the rest of the time, it's translated as atonement. And the best way to say atonement is at one meant. Because if you look at, take away the ment, it's a tone, it's at one. Okay? And when you see the word ment, it means, the ment means a state. Like content ment means the state of being content. A tone ment means the state of being one with God. Come on, so he makes atonement for us and he puts us in a state of being right with God because our sins have been purged, woo, and atoned for. So sin is not a problem for God. Can I tell you what is a problem for God? Not our sin, but our self-justification and denial of the sin is a problem for God. So I was watching 
and uh, this one preacher tells the story, and uh, he was preaching about the same passage. And he tells the story of a friend of his, a businessman in his church, who had a carpet cleaning business. And he said, I learned a lot from this man about the ministry and about life. And he said, always bless me. And he said, I had a meeting one day with this man, and his name was um, Milton. Uh, Milton somebody, but anyway. He said, and he was telling me, he took this new guy, signed up for his company, and he often would take them and do the training himself. And he took him to this customer's house and said, I want you to clean the carpets. Now, he had had training. So the guy gets all the equipment out. He goes, he said, right, I'm going to go and check on some other sites, and I'm going to be back because you're the new kid, you know, so, and then I'll be back. And when he gets back, all the cleaning equipment is packed up, and the guy's ready to go, and he's going like, there's no way he's cleaned those carpets in this shorter time. There's no way. You know, he should, he's still in the middle of the job. And so he goes in, and he looks, and he says to the guy, you finished? He goes, yeah, I know, I'm finished. So he goes in, and he looks, there's big dirty spots on the carpet. And he goes, and he says to the guy, stand here. And he positions the guy on the carpet. And he says, right, look at me. He said, have you finished cleaning? He says, yes, I finished cleaning. So right, I want you to look down just in front of your toes and see what you see. So he looks down. And he goes, oh, that's dirt. So Milton says to him, yes, that's right. He says, but... The fact that you can see it means I can work with you and can continue employing you. He said, because I employ people and they go through the same process and they don't see the dirt and I can put them on the dirty spot and they look down and they don't see the dirt. And when I say to them, what do they see? And they say, nothing, I see a clean carpet. I know I can't work with them. He said, I want to just tell you something. You see that dirt in the carpet there? The client pays us to take that out. So he said, I'm sorry, sir. And he started cleaning. And this pastor, straight after this coffee meeting with his businessman, goes in to church. And they're in the middle of the worship. In the middle of the worship, God says, hey, son, look at me. So he's worshiping and goes, God, I'm looking at you. I am looking at you. He says, look down at your feet. And God says to him, what do you see? And he goes, ouch. He says, he doesn't name it, but he said, I see this. So the Lord says to him, what do you call that? He said, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> he says, um, now he remembers the conversation with Milton. You know, he said, Lord, this is ugly sin. And God says to him, good, now we can work together. Yeah. He says, because you know my son paid the price to take this out. You know, God, God's not out to bully us. He's out to refine us. He's out to do something for us. Come on, this is the kind of thing that happens in church, church. Amen? When we get into the presence of God and we see the Lord high and lifted up, God can do things. He can show us little characteristic things, little flaws, little mannerisms. And he goes like, this is making you not such a nice person to be around, you know? 
There's only one word for it, church. Come on, it's called what? Come on, just say it a bit louder. Say it a bit louder. Yeah, there's only one word for it, you know. It's called sin, isn't that right? But God can work with us if we acknowledge it. And then he says, come on, my son paid the price for us to take it out. So come on, let's deal with this. Let's put this right. It's so funny, he goes on to tell the story about this lady that um, goes to church and then they call up all the visitors, out the visitors and give out visitors packs and welcome the visitors. And then somewhere in the church service, they give an altar call and she gets saved. I just thought the story was so cute. It's got very little to do with the message. I'm just sharing that with, because you gave such a good offering. It's a bonus. And um, so this lady gets saved. And, you know, she gets born again. Now, driving home, she's living with a guy who's a rock guitarist. They're not married. And she just realizes nobody told her. There was no message on sin or anything like this. We're living together. And she just realizes, you know, because she looked down, you know, in the presence of God. And God said, this is not right. So she gets back and says, look, we have to move out and I'm breaking up with you. And the boyfriend goes, why? And she says, because it's sin. So I said, who told you? Now, well, I went to this church and they welcomed me because I'm a visitor. And then at the end, I got saved. At the end of the service, I got saved. So now it's wrong to live together. So, you know, so we need to split up. And he says, yeah, but I really love you. Can't I get saved? So she says, yeah, but you've got to go to church next week as a visitor. So he says, okay. She says, all right, but we've got to live apart until next week. So he goes, that's fine. So he goes to church, and this time they forget to welcome the visitors. So the pastor starts preaching, and he just gets to a point where he just turns around and says, well, just greet one another. So everybody's greeting one another, and he goes like, okay, when are they going to call up the visitors? So he thinks that's the time. So he walks right up to the front. It's a big church. Walks right up to the front and stands in the front like this in front of the pastor. So the pastor says, morning, how are you? And he says, good, I'm a visitor. <laughs> so he says, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming to visit. And he just keeps standing there. So the people have all finished visiting and, you know, saying, welcome, welcome, welcome. So he goes, um, can I help you? And he says, I'm a visitor. So visitors get born again. So he goes, oh, okay, church, chat, just give me a minute. He goes on and leads the guy to the Lord and gets saved and they get married. Isn't that awesome? But the presence of God, come on, everybody say the presence of God. And that should be church, isn't that right? Where God shows us things. The fourth and the last thing, fourth and the last thing, I have discovered that every time I'm genuinely in the presence of God, I come out with a sense of repurpose. New purpose, new mandate, fresh vision. I said it to Bev a little while ago. I said to Bev, I know when I'm feeling like this, sometimes a little anxious, a little concerned, a little overwhelmed by the ministry and the needs and COVID and people getting sick and things like this. It's overwhelming. I know that I am short on time in the presence of God. Mm. There's something about the presence of God that strengthens my heart, yeah. strengthens my resolve. It gives me strength and energy. I feel more fortified to be able to go on. Yeah. I'm refreshed. Yeah. I'm re-envisioned. Yeah. I'm repurposed in the presence of God. Come on, church. We are to be people 
of his presence. Number one, we'll see his greatness. Number two, we'll see our littleness. Number three, we will see his holiness. And in the height of that, we will see our sin and we can deal with it. And number four, we will find fresh purpose. Is that good, church? Come on, we need to be people of his presence. We need to cultivate it. I mean, there's a good book that Brother Lawrence wrote on practicing the presence of God. We've got to move out of just realizing it's Christ in me to the place where there's a sense of abiding presence on us. When there's an abiding presence on us, it touches other people, not just you. When people get with you, they will feel the presence of God because God is with you. Is that okay? Where it extends beyond the confines of your physical body where actually there's an atmosphere of His presence around you. Come on, the day Isaiah went to church was a, a sad day for him and Israel. But when he left there, he had resolve. He had fresh purpose. God commissioned him and said, who will go and whom shall I send? He said, then here I am. And then God said, right, go to this people and go and prophesy. Come on, you will get fresh resolve out of it all. Amen? You'll go out into the world and you will have a word of hope and encouragement and peace for people. They'll be touched by the presence of God around you. I want you to enter into Isaiah's experience. I see the Lord as we close. something and if you said what is this what do you see and you said yes Lord I see it I said well the blood of my son has taken that out and I want you to know that he re resends he re sends you on a, your purpose on your mandate it's a fresh mandate like I said last week fresh mandate. Come on, we need to deal with all those things. Sometimes those are the things that hinder us. Sometimes it's good to get in the presence of God like this, to look down on the carpet and see the, <laughs> the dirty spots. Don't make them up if they're not there, but if they're there, He shows you. Acknowledge it. Confess it. Get it out. And then you'll just see how God will just use you afresh this week. Amen. So I declare based on your confession if you did and the authority of God's word I declare your sins forgiven I declare your lips touched with a coal off of the altar your sin has been purged you're in a state of atonement with God atoned for purged 
then God just asks the question. He wants the response to come from us. Whom shall I send this week? Who will I use this week in your workplace? Who will I use in your environment, in your world, in your king? Who am I going to use this week? And then we all say, here am I, Lord. Use me. Send me. I will be available to touch with tangible presence. I will be the prophet amongst those people, amongst a stiff-necked, hard, stubborn, obstinate people who don't want to know God. But there are many that do. But I will be the mouthpiece. I will be the spokesman. I'll be the one that brings the blessing. In Jesus' name. We all agreed, said. Amen. Amen. Now go with His peace. Go with His joy. Go with His blessing. Be blessed this week. Remember that He loves you. Remember, I love you. Bless you all.